Voltaire has a very interesting form of native life. At the moment, nobody knows of the existence of this life form but me. It's a mimic. Mimic? When a spaceman known as Ted Kennedy was exploring Altair 6 two years ago, he wandered off alone to look for wildlife. There was a big brown stone in his way. He kicked it. But the stone clung to his boot. It wasn't a stone, you see. It was a mimic. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of my way and let me out of this room. You must be out of your mind. Ted Kennedy never knew what happened to him. Within ten seconds, the mimic had absorbed him. Swallowed him up. Flesh, brain, memories and all. The rest of it went back to the spaceship disguised as Ted Kennedy. As far as anyone can tell, I am Ted Kennedy. And my crew members who were all absorbed by the mimic and who are on leave now... Oh, a whole ship was spreading all over the earth. Exactly. Come here, Dave. Not a army! Don't try to resist. It'll just take seconds. Boy! Just a moment more. Then it'll be all right. Good evening, ladies and joyums. This is Adam, and I'm one of your co-hosts for the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast, also known as Danger Room. What do you say, Jeremy? I like the cut of your jib there, Sam. I want to read a comic book. My name is Jeremy. That's... Sh- <laughs> so we're here to do uh, X-Men number 19, the April 19... April 1966. Okay. I'm there to catch you when you fall, brother. Soft as a pillow. And we've got our standard cover of the five X-Men facing off with a mutant who... It's a dude, it's a guy, it's a big guy. He kind of looks like the Beast, but he's got goggles and uh, wings and armbands. Oh, and he's walking on an ice tightrope. So it's kind of a culmination of all of the X-Men's powers. Except for Jean Grey. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) They should have given her boobs or something. (laughs) I mean, come on. He's got Beast's feet in hand. Why not give him a set of breasts? That'd be awesome. Evidently, we're fighting what could potentially be the ultimate X-Men nemesis. Oh, my gosh. And this issue has the best title of an X-Comic ever. Well, so far, and I'm I'm betting forever. Okay. First of all, it starts out... Well, okay, I'm, I'm just going to read out the whole title. Do it. Lo, now shall appear the mimic. It starts out with lo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's, and it takes up about a quarter of the page. I mean, they're not messing around with this title. And the mimic is all kind of uh, 60s or 50s B-grade scary movie font. Yeah. <laughs> Just in time for Halloween, everybody. The scary <laughs> font. Uh, our story is written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jay Gavin, inked by Dick Ayers, lettered by Artie Simic. It says all that in Forbush 2. Forbush being the, I guess, maybe the editor-in-chief by now. No, see, I actually did a little bit of research on this. I know there's a Forbush man. There's a Forbush, and Forbush man is Forbush. <laughs> and Forbush <laughs> is not uh, somebody from the Marvel bullpen, an editor or a writer or anything of that nature. I'm I'm going to get a little bit of this wrong, but I'm going to do my best. Apparently in the 40s, Stanley created a character named something Forbush, and it was kind of like a like a dopey private in the army or something like that something like a beetle bailey but just kind of a dopey character 
and then got swept by the wayside as Stanley progressed through his career and as he started making a name for himself with Marvel Comics, X-Men Avengers Fantastic Four, he started reintroducing this Forbush name and starting to refer to Forbush as somebody who did something wrong or did something or whatever. And that led to the creation of Forbush Man. Hmm. Yeah. I was thinking of Fred Hembeck. Are you familiar with Fred Himbeck? Absolutely, right? Because wasn't he? He, I mean, he was big in the uh, uh, Marvel. What was the? There was a parody Marvel comic. I feel like he parodied everything. Well, Fred Hembeck did absolutely, but there was, there was a. It was what the? It was what the? Oh yeah. Dash yeah. dash exclamation point question mark. And I think Fred Hembeck had a feature in there. They would just basically satirize their own comics. But then they also had Forbush Man in there, who was a guy with like a pot on his head. And like right. a big F on his uh, red underwears. So there you go, folks. Everybody had knobby knees and knobby elbows. Yeah, except for the one cover. They did a parody. Uh, you know the Punisher cover where he's on the cover, he's got big muscles, and he's just shooting. I think it's a painted cover. And he's got like this big uh, grrr look on his face. Well, they parodied <laughs> that with Forbush. So Forbush is all muscular with his pan head shooting some missiles. Or not missiles, guns. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, why do I remember this? I have no idea. Why do I also remember it? <laughs> we probably had the exact same issue. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I had that issue before we had even met. I would have to agree, except same thing about me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Natch. <laughs> so anyways, the X-Men are training, and uh, as per usual, all of the X-Men are doing some level of physical activity, except for Cyclops, who's bossing them around, and Jean Grey, who looks to be reading a fashion magazine. Well, no, no, she is she is levitating. Yeah, fine. And she's turning the pages of a book, a comic book, I guess, with her telekinesis. So, I mean, that's her power. She's training at her power. Sure. She's not doing anything physical. She is training. So Cyclops is like, Beast, get on that horse thing and then hold a ball with your foot. Uh, Iceman, throw javelins. Angel, fly around really fast. Jean, read that magazine and float. <laughs> I mean, come on. She's got telekinesis here. She could be, like, levitating Beast while Beast is doing this exercise or anything. Well, she probably picked up the issue and he was like, No, 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 with your mind, silly girl. <laughs> Damn woman. Angel gets a little cocky. He does a little flyby of Iceman and ends up causing Iceman to miss his target. So Iceman throws ice at him. Cyclops chastises him. Iceman gets ready to fight Angel. It's typical hijinks in the danger room. Cyclops lets it go to a point, but then he puts the brakes on it. He blasts the... What, what does he create there, an ice pole? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. More ice javelins, I guess. It's an ice pole volt. Iceman's like, Scotty, can't you take a joke? Cyclops says, uh, uh, knock it off and let's buckle down and get some training. And uh, so, Beast, I want you to walk over that metal plate with one hand and watch out for the danger. And Beast is all cocky. Everybody's cocky in this I issue. Know. And so he wants to do it on one hand. So he starts hopping around on one hand and... Then uh, Cyclops thinks he's a dog, so he's like, careful, boy. <laughs> what looks like some sort of punching bag flies up out of the floor, and Beast catches it on his feet. He kicks it up in the air, and Angel, yet again, the target of somebody's uh, misadventures, nearly gets hit. 
Jean Grey also nearly gets hit, but she manages to move it with telekinesis, but she drops her magazine. And she's very worried that she has lost her page. But she bounces it back towards Cyclops. Is the word thunk <laughs> in two different colors in yours? Yes, it's a, a light green and then a dark green. Yeah, I wonder if they ran out of light green ink. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this issue, everybody. We're out of that green number six. Oh, man. Wait, wait, wait. We got green number eight. <laughs> okay, let's use that. Yeah, backfill with that. So Cyclops, ever the taskmaster, wants uh, everybody to keep alive because more obstacles are coming. But he gets interrupted by the professor who telepathically tells them all that they're done for the day. He shuts off all the electronic booby traps with the click of one button. <laughs> First, I'll shut off all the electronic booby traps. <laughs> Presumably they're in the danger room, right? Presumably. Well, wait, the professor comes in through a door that looks like a regular door. So there's a regular door into the danger room. Well, yeah, I mean... I always thought it was some, like, mechanical awesome door that was like... That's... This looks like a squeaky old-timey door. Well, that's what it looks like on the outside. See, this is a, an image of the professor coming into the danger room, oh, and that door swings so you in. think it's a fake door. So on the outside, it's got to have that wooden veneer, but on the inside, it's super plasma and cycling colors and, and different types of things happening. LCD touchscreen. Shi'ar technology, yes. Uh, so I want you to take a, a look at page four, and at first glance... There's a lot of text. Holy crap, yeah. <laughs> this is the the wordiest page I believe I have ever seen in a comic book up thus far. Oh, and and we're going to do it justice. Yeah, we're we're going to read it. We're going to read every single word here. <laughs> I was just struck when I was kind of going through this and I switched to this page. I was like, "Oh my god, it take me a half an hour to get through this page." The first thing that I am drawn to is the second panel on the page four where everybody looks slightly insane with their <laughs> invisible eyes and um, Iceman making obscene hand gestures. <laughs> he does kind of look like he's giving Beast the business there. And Angel, for no apparent reason, is like... Clapping over his head. Yay. Yeah, he's like spraying everybody with his body odor. And um, yeah, Jean Grey just looks completely mad. <laughs> yes, she has no pupils. For None of them have any pupils, really, except for Iceman. No, that's what makes it so creepy. Um, I actually kind of thought it looked like the end of maybe like a 60s or 70s Super Friends episode. Oh, yeah, where everybody's like... Everybody, you know, they solve the crime or whatever, and some, like, Gleep tells a joke, and they're all like, yay, and they get into a dumb pose like that. Except for Cyclops there, who's like... Mm -hmm. Got his hands on his hips. He's not very happy about the madness that has taken over his X-Men. <laughs> so what is it? What is it, Jeremy? What are they happy about? Uh, they, they they get a vacation day. Woo! There's literally a hundred words here to describe that they're just going to go on vacation. Well, the only the only part that interests me is that the professor describes the past few issues as a few months. That's true. Since your bouts with the Sentinels and with Magneto in the past few months, I've been waiting for you to fully become fully recovered and do pain your fighting peak again. So what I think that means is that, like, a few months ago, you did all that fighting, and then you rested, and now you're back to fighting peak, so now go on vacation. Well, that's the only thing it could possibly mean, because as we know, those issues happen back to back to back. Yes. So everybody talks about what they want to do. Some want to go on a date. Some want to go buy clothes. I'll leave it to your imagination to guess which one of them wants to go buy clothes. Scott's got an amazing wardrobe. <laughs> it's fabulous. Uh, and so 
per usual, Iceman and Beast take off on an ice slide. And um, they're going to the library. I like this dialogue, though, here. After they make the ice slide, Gene's like, if any ice melts on the floor, I'm not mopping it up, Bobby Drake. (laughs) Indicating that in the past, she's been the one that has had to mop up Bobby's ice trails. All across town. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, she's the woman. Give her a mop. Hey, come on. I got telekinesis. Telekinesis this mop. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure she has. Yeah, and then so Skyclops is like, oh, if only I dared to ask Gene for a date, but I haven't the right. And then as he's speaking these words to himself, he literally falls asleep himself. He's so boring. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but he continues to go on about his power being beings ever so dangerous and, and whatnot. So, and then Angel asks Scott if he wants to go on a double date. And so my question is, is are they tag teaming Gene or was there another woman <laughs> in question here? Sorry, Warren. I've got other plans. I'm going to go sulk. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Warren probably has some some of the debutantes that he hangs out with. Well, because last time the X-Men had a vacation and Angel went on a date, it was with Marvel Girl. So, Well, no. Last time they had a vacation, he drove her to the airport or oh, the, the right. train station. Okay. And that, that's when the Sentinel thing happened. Okay. 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 They never get a vacation, poor X-Men. Yeah, anytime a vacation arises, it all, you know, goes awry. And maybe maybe that won't happen here. This whole issue will just be about shopping and, and the library. So the Iceman and the Beast go to the library to meet their dates. Yes, Zelda from the coffee shop is Iceman's date, and apparently she has a friend to date Beast. They uh, are going through the library. Zelda hasn't arrived yet. Beast gets into a, a heated discussion with the librarian. Which I don't really quite understand. It starts this way. Uh, Beast says, if it's all the same to you, he's talking to Iceman, I'll just peruse the tantalizing tomes I see before me. He thinks something to himself, our friends are beasts or whatever. And then Vera, the librarian here, says, if you haven't noticed, these books are for preschool-age children. And then apparently they just get into this like argument, and I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah, I'm not sure why Beast is interested in the preschool books to begin with. Well, I think he likes the Our Friends the Beasts title, I mean, as he says in his little thought bubble there. You know, he, he goes by the name Beast, but he's a smart guy, so he's not truly a beast, and there's maybe like a little bit of a lesson in there or something. Zelda shows up, but she's alone, and Beast says, Just as well, I'm beginning to find the company of females somewhat trying, pointing again, yet again, to Beast being gay. <laughs> I don't like girls. Pretty much. But we find out... Not only do we find out, we find out with a match. The Beast goes on to date another Vera, or maybe it's the same Vera, much later in X-Factor. And I'm wondering if it's the actual same character. I can't remember her last name, though. But she doesn't look anything like this. She's got, like... It's in the 80s, so she's got, like, half her head shaved, and the other half is, like, spiked straight up in the air. She's supposed to be funky. She sounds cool. <laughs> and this girl is anything but. Oh, yeah. She's Square City. <laughs> Squaresville Natch. <laughs> the Beast gets a uh, big blush on his face. Then we switch outside where this dude named Calvin is, for some reason, interested in Vera and has it out now for the Beast. 
he's all mad, but she's like arm in arm with the beast, and, and he's pretty upset about it. This is a kind of a disappointing setup, in my opinion, because normally these circumstances start out with, like, I went out on a date with him once and I hated it, but ever since, he gets mad at anybody else who dates me. But this setup is, I helped him look for books on engineering, and now he doesn't want me dating anybody. <laughs> Why does this guy even care? I don't. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, I think the idea is that he he keeps asking her out. Oh, that for some could reason be. he won't leave her alone because he's all like, "You didn't have time for a date with me today." But here you are, arm in arm with that creep. Iceman thinks that this guy's going to end up with a fat lip because the beast is so awesome and he's secretly in love with him. The guy that goes to throw a punch at Beast. And Beast dodges. Easily I never dodges. saw anyone dodge so fast before. And Beast goes to throw a punch, and this guy dodges. So he's like, holy crap, this guy's pretty agile, just like just like me. What? How could it be? And then all of a sudden... Even more like the Beast, the guy starts jumping around. He jumps off the lamppost. He actually takes his shoes off because it makes it easier, which is kind of strange. Yeah. And he ends up kicking the Beast in the back of the head. Yikes. Zowie. Sweet dreams, stupid. <laughs> Welcome to Squaresville. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he, that'll teach you to stay away from my girl. That'll teach you to stay away from my girl. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't, I, that seems backward. It should be like, that'll teach you to be with my girl. Whatever. Anyway, so the Iceman, he's like, I'm ending this right now. And as soon as he grabs Calvin Rankin, Calvin Rankin turns around and throws a big snowball that he's created out of nowhere right in Iceman's face. It makes no sense. This is just crazy. And then, as often happens in New York City, <laughs> some random construction workers just uh, start to join in the fight. They're like, oh, look. That guy's clearly some sort of mutant. Let's take him down. One guy throws a brick at him. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and they're, you rotten, muty, leave those kids alone. And they're heaving those things off at Calvin. And Calvin makes an ice shield, and then he climbs up the side of the wall, and he hides while he's trying to figure out what's going on. But now I have a problem here. The X-Men have gone through years at this, well, not years, months, many, many months of uh, training to hone their powers, in some cases to get them under control, and in other cases just to simply learn how to maximize their potential. Calvin Rankin has had these powers for less than seven minutes, and yet he's already seemed to have mastered these powers. You know, maybe some the same thing that allows him to have these powers allows him to have the skills necessary with them. I would just find it a much more compelling story for him to get all of these abilities, like beast abilities. But then instead of being super agile, he's so agile and so unable to work with his agility. He's just like tripping all over himself until he realizes that, oh, you know, my, my muscles are acting faster than my brain can control them or things like that. Just have a little bit more like experimentation which I guess he does kind of on the next page. But the yeah. experimentation is just like, look how cool I am. I didn't know I could do this. I can jump and pole vault. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like these two sequences should have gone out of order, but or should have gone in the opposite order, but they couldn't. Otherwise, the story wouldn't have made any sense. Yeah. Well, anyways, so he gets uh, acquainted with his powers, and uh, he decides that, oh, you know what? It, it, uh, one guy's got ice, the other guy's acrobatic. It must be those two squares that are on the X-Men. That's who it must be. I'm going to destroy the X-Men. It's kind of an odd leap to just be like, I've got the X-Men's powers. I want to kill the X-Men. He's really just mad at Beast, but... As long as the other X-Men are there. 
It's going to take them out too. So after his little workout and experimentation with his powers, he starts losing the ability to possess them as they they seem to be fading away. So he decides that he will try to find the remaining X-Men. When the powers that he is mimicking go go too far away, he loses the powers. But he seems to be discovering this for the first time. It kind of makes me wonder if this is like completely new to him or if, if he's ever done this before or what's going on. It would indicate to me that this is the first time that he's been in the proximity of super-powered people. If that's true, then yeah, you're right. He he is like moving very fast with this. <laughs> <laughs> so Jean Grey is out shopping, and she has run out of cash. It's a big problem when you're out shopping. The professor hasn't been giving her a large enough stipend. I guess not. I mean, she's only got two packages. She's walking around the mall courtyard or whatever, and she bumps into a guy who's got a cup of hot coffee on a tray who turns out to be Calvin Rankin. And he's a total jerk to her. If you weren't a girl, I'd paste you one. <laughs> paste you one. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, he's not a happy dude. Not at all. No, he's a total jerk. He kind of looks like David Hasselhoff in this little version. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And then in that video where he got super drunk and was like falling all over the place. Yeah, yeah. He does kind of look <laughs> like that. He sits down. He's like, ah, those nutty females, they're all alike. Jeez. Uh, he says, ah, I need some sugar. Why can't I have any sugar whenever I need any? There's sugar on that table. Why can't it be on this table? I'm going to have to stand up and get it. Man, my life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but... All of a sudden, the sugar just comes right over to him because all he had to do was think about the sugar. This is the part that I get a little uh, skeptical about because he immediately knows that, oh, that must be Marvel Girl, which I suppose if he knows Marvel Girl's set of powers, that he knows he should be looking for a girl. But there are other girls at this place. He immediately assumes that it's the redhead, which I guess if he studied the X-Men well enough, he knows that Jean Grey is a redhead, but yeah, uh, I just answered my own question. Never mind. No, I mean it's it's quite it's quite a leap. They're in the middle of a food court, so while he did just run into this girl, it could be anybody really that's giving him this telekinesis. But he he makes the the very large leap of faith that that must be Marvel Girl because she's the one with telekinesis, which makes me wonder: Do the X Men have like a press secretary that are like sitting out there, like, oh, by the way, Marvel Girl's got telekinesis. Beast <laughs> is a great acrobat and doesn't wear shoes. Yeah, apparently everybody knows they must have they must have like a prime time programming, and these are the X Men's powers. <laughs> And so, they, Which, you know, would be very handy in the future when there's like 8,000 members. That's true. That's true. The next day, Beast is telling the professor about this incredible person who's got this ability to have their powers or something. The professor is talking about Cerebro and no, nothing's registering on Cerebro, so it can't possibly be a mutant. Then the doorbell rings. Ding dong. And it's Kelvin Rankin at the door. Oh, my God. Impossible. He's all, like, apologetic, but in his thoughts, he's like, the fool, he thinks I mean it. He's just worried that he knows who they are. He walks in and introduces himself, and immediately he's able to stop the professor from probing his mind because he's able to steal the professor's power. Which is also, come on, I mean, the professor's power seems a very complicated one to master. It would seem that as soon as you inherited that power, you would just start receiving thoughts from everybody who is surrounding. I mean, the professor goes on later in the X-Men's life cycle to go into detail about how he has to put, you know, self-dampeners on so that he's not constantly being barraged by other people's thoughts. 
and that in some cases it's a handicap and not necessarily a, a blessing. Well, it, however Calvin Rankin's powers work, they seem to also steal the level of ability of the person who has the power. Whether or not that makes any sense or not, that that's what's happening here. You should submit that to the Marvel bio, <laughs> just so that uh, you know <laughs> that we can get that officially on the docket. As in addition to stealing powers, he also steals your ability in them. Yeah, I mean he's got the same level of skill as the Professor, as Beast, as Iceman, as Jean Grey. Sounds far fetched, but all right, fine. Yeah, it's it's well, you know, what's not far fetched? Well, here's what's far-fetched, is that he has figured out that the leader, Cyclops, has these optic powers, and the only way that he can, in normal life, control these optic powers is by sunglasses. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing leap of faith. This guy's brilliant. He is very smart. As of yet, we have not talked about, or at least the X-Men comics have not talked about, what kind of glasses keep Cyclops' power in check. But whatever it is that's keeping his eyes in check, Kelvin Rankin has the same glasses. <laughs> so there must be like a whole store in the mall that sells... <laughs> yeah, Ruby Quartz Spectacles. Ruby Quartz Spectacles. <laughs> and he's done his research, so he knew he would need them. So he goes to shake Angel's hands, and he's like, he starts thinking, like, oh, I, I feel my wings starting to sprout. See, this would kind of make sense if he had to actually touch everybody yeah. to gain their powers. Kind of like a like a rogue type thing with a power absorption. Ah, yeah. uh, no, I can buy the whole like vicinity thing. I mean, you saw that that heroes show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys all had kind of the same power type thing, and it seemed plausible. <laughs> in a, in a world where superheroes exist, it seemed plausible. Anyhow, the professor he's thinking to himself, which is kind of a dumb idea because we now know that Calvin <laughs> can read his thoughts. But anyways, he wants to. You know, try to learn the extent of his power so he can figure out how to defeat them. And Kelvin reads their, all their minds and realizes that none of them trust him, but he doesn't care. It's too late for them. So the professor tells Hank to be nice to Calvin because he's a guest. Kelvin goes upstairs to change. He takes off his clothes, revealing his wings that he has. Uh, he has grown after being close to Angel. Well, he also pre-planned by putting on, like, this little wing harness or girdle or whatever you want to call it. So he has, like, in-depth knowledge of the X-Men's powers, as though he was, like, checking out their web page if it wasn't the 60s. <laughs> sure. He's also come prepared with an amazing costume. <laughs> yeah, well, some might call it amazing. I'm imagining if a dude came down in, like, a full costume after, like, disappearing, and I'd be pretty amazed. That is true. I mean, that does show a lot of planning ahead. Uh, the rest of the X-Men, they're, they're ready to go. I guess the professor gave them the signal to uh, change into their costumes. So basically everybody just changed. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, but we didn't get treated to the changing montage like we normally do. And that's okay. Immediately, the mimic attacks. He has got kind of an advantage over the X-Men since... He has all their powers. All in one. Yeah, and I guess they're just not prepared to take on people of their own caliber. He knocks Angel over. Not only can he fly, he's also got the beast's agility. I like the fifth panel where he's like descending down with his wings and he's got a big ice shield and he's blasting with his uh, optic beams. He blocks Cyclops' optic beams with an ice shield and he blasts Iceman's ice with his optic blast. All while he's flying. What's interesting is that there are two different sound effects for that. When Cyclops' <laughs> optic beams hit the ice, it makes brack sound. 
when Mimic's optic beams hit Iceman's javelin there, it makes a whap sound. Hmm. What does that mean? Uh, it's just different. This could be the key to the story. I think it Professor could be. Professor X needs to find out why the sound effects are different. It's the key to the whole thing. It's different textures of ice or, or different densities of ice. And that's that's the key. Maybe. Fine. All right. So anyways, he lands and uh, Angel's all indicating that he wants all the X-Men to kind of bum rush him. But the professor's like, eh, you know, hang on, hang on. Let's, let's think about this for a minute. Yeah, but it turns out it ain't the professor, which is pretty cool. Everybody's uh, Everybody stops, turns around, but it was actually the mimic getting into their heads. And uh, immediately knocks everybody for a loop, throws some snow in Cyclops's eye. Beast, for random reasons, goes flying. I'm not sure why. <laughs> he's, on, he's on his side here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess maybe he's trying to kick Mimic, but Mimic ducks. I, yeah, I'm not sure. kind of looks like maybe he jumped up from the ground, is repelling off of a wall, because in the last panel he jumps on the Mimic's back. While Marvel Girl is trying to work at his legs to try to basically knock him over, I guess. She succeeds, and he's down. Uh, Mimic, Mimic is beaten, and, and Iceman is the first to comment about it. How about that? We beat him. <laughs> we never beat anybody. <laughs> we did it, guys. The professor didn't even help once. <laughs> but in a very cartoonish, kind of Rocky and Bullwinkle moment, Mimic gets up, grabs Marvel Girl, and carries her out of the mansion. I expect him to have a little mustache saying, Mmm, you'll never find my hidden lair. He jumps into uh, his car, which kind of looks like a... uh, Yeah, it looks like a 70s muscle car to me. Although, maybe it kind of looks like a station wagon, or actually, could be a gremlin, too. It looks like kind of a hatchback. I'm not sure what's going on to the back of this car. He grabs Marvel Girl. I don't know why Marvel Girl isn't doing something telekinetically. I guess maybe because he's got her telekinetic powers still too but plus he blindfolded her oh yeah she can't see the fact that there's a steering wheel well you think she would telekinetically remove the blindfold anything telekinetically do something but she doesn't well maybe they're having like a telekinetic battle in the car and she's like removing it but he keeps putting it back on i think that would be a cool thing to spend a couple of panels on but they don't the x-men jump into their super lame x-copter yeah. There is nothing cool about this X-Copter. No. <laughs> no no comment. <laughs> okay, so, uh, and then we flash back to Mimic, who pulls Marvel Girl out of the car and pushes her into a mine shaft. He then proceeds to sit her in a nice apartment inside of the mine shaft. He's probably found some really cheap real estate. You know who he looks like here? Did, did, you, ever, you, had, did you ever have He-Man action yep, figures? yep. He, there was a guy named, I think his name was Mechanek, and you would twist his body and his neck would go up. Uh, was he the one that looked like an elephant or something? No, that, that was a different guy. But Mechanek guy, when you would twist him, his neck would crane upward, but he had these exact same goggles on his face. Google him. Mechanek. Kind of reminds me of Triclops, but... Triclops. No, Triclops had a spinning face, right? He had like the... Th- right, he had three heads. Oh, no, he had the spinning eyes. There was also the face guy who had like the... Manny Faces was his name. Oh, yeah. That had three faces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember who the elephant guy... I can picture the elephant guy, but I don't know what the elephant guy's name was. I think by the time Elephant Guy came out, the cartoon was way off, off TV. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, um, anyways, back to the X Men. Uh, so Mimic starts telling uh, Jean Grey his story about how his dad used to be a scientist who was doing dangerous experiments. The boy would go into the lab uh, against the father's rules not to go in the lab. Well, you know, technically, he says, stay out when I'm working. But then he says, the room is off limits to you. So is it just when he's working or is it limits period, uh, off limits period? I, I I can see how the kid would get confused. Yeah, the whole rank and family's crazy. So he knocks over a beaker containing some sort of stuff. Uh, liquid, it looks like, which falls into some sort of other contraption. Oh, yeah, which creates a gas. Gas fills the air, and suddenly he's able to get... Here. Here is where it is. He's able to fight as well as the boxing champ. He's able to get his skills. So it's not just the power set. Uh, he doesn't steal the X-Men's powers. He steals their like natural abilities. Okay. For lack of any other words, uh, he steals their powers, their skills, and their skill level at which they are currently using them. So, if he were to be next a mediocre boxer, he would be even par with him, and he would also be a mediocre boxer. Exactly. I think we're on to something here. He seems to excel uh, at fist fights and baseball, and everybody thinks something's wrong with him. Because they're, they're jealous of him, and... He uses the skill of the teacher to get straight A's. That's pretty handy. I wish I had that skill. The father realizes that if this keeps going on, that he's they're going to torch him. They're going to lock him up. He rents out this cave apartment. Um, <laughs> they are able to get this thing for a, for a, for a song, basically. Yeah, he, and there's no electricity, no no heat. You know, that's all right. The father doesn't care that much. He just wants to get him out of there. Well, the father's a scientist, so he does some science-y things to get some power and water down there because when you're a scientist, you can do anything. I guess according to these captions, he starts draining all the current in the city, short or in the county. It short-circuses every fuse in the county. So in order to power this apartment, make sure his son has, like, full cable. <laughs> He's like stealing everybody else's power. Which I don't know. Why didn't he just get him a regular apartment? It's so confusing. And an angry mob comes and they want to, you know, get him. Yeah, they're basically furious about, where's our cable television? Yes. It just came out here. Do you know <laughs> that there's more than just six channels? There's a channel that plays just movies all the time and I'm missing it right now. I want to watch Breaking Bad. The new episode aired yesterday, and I don't know what a torrent is yet. <laughs> I hear that MTV is playing music videos right now. <laughs> I would like to see that Ricky Rackman show me the heavy metal. All right, that might be an older joke. Anyhow. <laughs> Calvin Rankin's father, whose, whose name is Dad, uh, <laughs> he decides that he's going to set off some explosives to close them in there forever or at least for a while and he's a scientist he's not an explosive a demolitions expert so he ends up blowing himself up the angry mob leaves <laughs> they're like whoa whoa fireworks we're out of here i wasn't expecting to actually do anything man this just got real uh we can go home and watch network television it's cool it's cool um <laughs> but in calvin rankin's eyes it's everybody else's fault that his father is dead so he will make them pay he will make them all pay and then somehow, I guess, the narrative of this whole story was Calvin Rankin saying, 
let me tell you a story about a boy. Because in this panel, <laughs> Marvel Girl's like, then you, you were that boy. <laughs> Which is kind of like, isn't that kind of like what they did in Friday the 13th, where it's like, you, you were the mother. That little boy was your son. <laughs> oh, no, you're going to kill me. So that, that boy who has all the same powers that you have, that's that was you. you. <laughs> this is all becoming so much clearer now. <laughs> and now you want to trick the X-Men into coming here so that they can get the machine for you. Oh, because uh, Dad, as we discovered, is Dad Rankin. He accidentally blew up the mine wall that had the machine that was supposed to make Calvin Rankin stronger. Yeah. The machine is buried, and the machine is going to permanently uh, make it so that he steals the skills of other people and keeps them. They won't wear off anymore. So he'll be a super amazing genius athlete dude. He'll have the power of the world. All you would need to do with that is just just go everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it would be awesome. No, it wouldn't. You'd get pretty lonely after a while, I think. Although, I don't know, does he absorb the mediocre levels of skill? That's a good point. So, like, if he if he were to be next to Colossus and the Thing, what would happen? Yeah, if he were next to me, would he lose the ability to juggle? <laughs> That's a good point. Or what if he was next to somebody who was okay at juggling and somebody who was super <laughs> awesome at juggling? Yeah, he would, I guess he would be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> he just, all right, super. So okay super, super okay man <laughs> i can do everything super well super okay or maybe he would just like he would take an average of every skill set of the entire human race or maybe like something unpredictable happens where he ends up getting like the worst of everybody's powers oh the machine yeah. it backfired i got everybody's powers but i get the weakest versions of them <laughs> since the x-men have come after gene gray he's now close enough that he's getting their powers back and he immediately goes to where the, the machine is buried and starts unburying it using Cyclops' force beam. Meanwhile, outside the mine, the X-Men are loading the professor into the chair. do de do <laughs> They're slow folks. They prepare to enter the mine. And here's where we get some intensity of, from Scott regarding Jean. What of Jean, Professor? Can you mentally scan the area and tell if she's all right? If she's been harmed, no power on Earth will save the mimic from me. Iceman's all like, oh my god, I wouldn't want to be his enemy if I, whenever I hear Cyclops like that. When I hear that tone in Sykes' voice, I wouldn't want to be his enemy. And then Beast is thinking, oh, when I hear that tone in Cyclops' voice. I get a little hot under the collar. <laughs> my, my. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Beast, you're bulging in your pants again. <laughs> uh, what? I told you, it's a it's a disorder. <laughs> it's my beast bulge. <laughs> it's part of my power, now leave me alone. The professor says, oh, Gene's directly behind that door, so let's open it. They open it by using uh, Cyclops' force beam at a small degree, yet again. The professor is wondering why the concern for Marvel Girl seems to have completely disappeared now that he realizes she's safe. Yeah, which is which is a nice story touch. The professor's been kind of wondering about this, and you'd wonder if, I mean, if I'm the professor, I'd just read Cyclops' mind and be like, oh, come on, you pansy, go ask her out on a date. <laughs> you know you like her. She likes you. I read both your minds. I like this caption. Seconds later, upon reaching the captive girl, Scott Summers silently takes his place behind the professor's wheelchair once again. 
It's so sad. He is. He's very pathetic. The mimic is still blasting away at the collapsed buttresses. He manages to get through and he sees the machine, which is a big room with a giant M in the middle of the room. Dad Rankin had a lot of extra money for the for the little nice touches. There's a whole bunch of levers that make this thing work. He starts pulling them all, and then one of them gets blast with a zapped. And he claims, X-Men, you're too late. And uh, he creates an, an ice wall so that the X-Men can't get to him. And he knocks it over. Somehow, Angel also gets knocked underneath it, despite the fact that he's flying. Yeah. It's a big wall. He grabs the professor, and he runs into the machine, and he's using the professor as a shield so the X-Men can't do anything. To which the professor says, stay back, I'll handle this myself, per usual. The professor's got something up his sleeve, apparently. Yes. It's always one of these, hang on, just wait for it, guys. I could probably <laughs> tell you what I'm going, or think to you what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to tell you. And oh, by the way, this is going to be yet another issue where you don't get to win, I win. <laughs> Because I'm a crazy old man. <laughs> well, in this case, it was good that he didn't tell out loud what his plan was. Because as Mimic turns on the machine, he immediately collapses after the machine works. Well, jumping ahead, it turns out that the machine removes Mimic's power and not enhances it. The professor knew that somehow. Yeah. I actually thought what was happening was that he absorbed the, the professor's... Uh, wheelchair status and that's why you fell down <laughs> oh no i've absorbed his crippled legs <laughs> but i was wrong <laughs> in the first panel here on the last page uh beast has no pupils and he, he also looks very crazy <laughs> with his hand outstretched carrying calvin rank and he's blind he's reaching with his hand <laughs> oh my god this is another issue, and they did this before with Lucifer or Eunice or the Blob or any of these guys who I guess we'll be seeing next issue as we see in the caption on the last page. But oh, yeah. they either lose their powers or they lose their mind or they get their mind wiped and they just kind of head off. I mean, look at this panel like a short time later. So in a short time. Calvin Rankin was able to change out of his goofy outfit, find a suitcase, and then walk off to his car as if he's like, well, I'm just going to head off to work now. See you guys later. Thanks for the assist. The professor was there. He probably mind-wiped him and convinced him that it was all cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, the X-Men kind of half-assing it, you know? Somebody who's committed a lot of crimes, hurt a lot of people, but they're like, hey, man, take off. Don't worry. It's cool. What I like is on the, the first panel um, on this page, Cyclops is holding the professor's wheelchair, but it's all folded up. Well, well yeah, you got to have a fold-up wheelchair when you're an X-Man. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, so they jump into their super lame X-Copter, fly into the sunset, and, uh, <laughs> and then we find out that next issue, Eunice and Blob and Lucifer will return. Oh, man. Oh, man, I can't wait. Oh, man. It better be an exciting story because last we left, Eunice had no power. The Blob had given up the whole supervillain game, and Lucifer was mind-wiped, I think. Uh, Lucifer was mind-wiped. Did Eunice lose his power? I thought he just agreed that he wouldn't use it for evil anymore. I think you're right. Yeah, because the beast like, oh, I'll use this gun on you again if you come back, so don't you come back. So if I were Eunice, I'd be like, fine, I'm going to France. Come get me. Come get me, Gorilla Man. 
Oh no, Lucifer didn't actually lose his power either. They just let Lucifer go. Yeah, he didn't lose his power, but I thought they mind wiped him. No, they didn't. They he just was def- like they just defeated him and like ah, eh, there you they go. Just defeated him and let him go because the professor was feeling nice okay. that day. All right, so apparently the last time we saw these three characters, they all had their powers and had just kind of agreed to uh, go their own ways and be quiet. I don't know what happened to the blob. He he was going to team up with Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Magneto ended up slamming a couple missiles into the blob, and the blob inadvertently saved the X-Men. And at the very end, the blob's like, Ugh, this superhero supervillain thing is too much for me. I'm going back to the circus. Yep. All right. <laughs> All right. So there you go. It'll be this this is going to be the best issue ever. I just know it. I'm I'm looking forward to it. We've already spent more time talking about the next issue than we've talked about this issue. <laughs> so in the immortal words of Irving Forbush, who says this ain't the Marvel Age of Comics? Exactly. I think this is probably the issue that made me look up who Irving Forbush was. Yeah. It's something that you see uh throughout Marvel Comics lore over and over and over again and finally I was like, "You know what?" We've got the internet. Yeah, just another uh, bit of the genius of Stanley. Yes. <laughs> Always coming up with something clever. I like this issue. I honestly think that this is like these are the best X-Men issues. I mean, I, I like the I guess the best ones are the 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 multiple parter ones that actually establish kind of the stuff that's going on today. Those are the best ones, but I like these one-off stories that are kind of silly as well. And this was a very silly story, and I I appreciated it. I like the Mimic character. I'm not really sure why, but he may or may not be making a revisiting of the X-Men. But he's one of those villains that I don't think actually comes back in like the new age of Marvel Comics. Maybe he does. No, actually, he was, uh, you know, the whole Dark Reign thing that happened? No. Norman Osborn uh, became the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and turned it into Hammer? No. Oh. (laughs) A few years ago. Okay. Norman Osborn took over, became the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and named it Hammer. Okay. And he formed his own team of Dark X-Men. Okay. They were just called the X-Men, but the comic book was called the Dark X-Men. And it was featured Mystique, who was pretending to be Professor X, and Mimic was one of the members of the team. Oh. It's good stuff. I'll have to check that out. There's There's been many an X-Men little mini-series and uh, event. Yeah, go go pick up um, Dark X-Men. Dark X-Men. All right, well, there you go. Did you go pick it up? Oh, no, I have not picked it up I'm yet. waiting. It's on the other side of the room, and, uh, you know, it's... Uh, oh. If I had that telekinesis, I could think it over here, but I don't. Oh, man, that's terrible. I know. If only. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, I like the Mimic character. The story is kind of -of run-of-the-mill, par-for-the-course type, you know. It's very formulaic uh, in terms of we start out in the danger room, we encounter our danger, and then we fight it, and then it's over. Or actually, the professor solves the problem for us, and then we move on. Not a whole lot of depth, uh, in my opinion. The last issue was... Not good and kind of boring. This one wasn't boring. It was fun. Uh, okay. I'll so I guess that's what I that's what I mean. I like it when they're fun. Okay. Fair enough. Log into the iTunes and give us some reviews. Go on to www.oredcatproductions.com slash danger room and leave us some comments. What else we got? 
You can email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. There's many ways to get in contact with us. You can go over to, what, facebook.com forward slash dangerroompodcast, and uh, you can like us, and we'll like you back, and leave a comment there or listen to the episode or, you know, whatever. It's all good. It's cool. And we added some panels to the, what do they call them, blog entries? Yes, to the to the little entries, to the to the articles, to the episodes, to the show notes. So now you can laugh along with us at the panels. Yes, um, we'll be adding. Right now, there's only one, but there there'll be more by the. I'm going to go back and add some to all of them. Oh yeah, that may take years, but it's going to it's going to be full featured. Oh, there's only one last thing to say, and that is until next time, the danger room is closed. Oh, I thought you were going to say spaghetti sandwiches. I am the mimic man. I come from down your way and I can do.